According to the American Cancer Society's new estimate for 2023, there will be about 13,960 new cases of invasive cervical cancer diagnosed in the U.S., and about 4,310 women will die from the disease. Think about that number, 4,310 women, mothers, daughters, wives, aunts, grandmothers, friends, will die in 2023. Those who are diagnosed, depending on the stage, will undergo brachytherapy, a procedure often used to treat cervical cancer. The procedure involves placing radioactive material inside the body and is sometimes referred to as internal radiation. While brachytherapy is a proven method to saving lives, it comes with excruciating pain and sometimes long-lasting side effects. Our guest today, Eve McDavid and Dr. Uni Balagoon, know firsthand about brachytherapy. Eve, a cervical cancer survivor, herself underwent a procedure that ultimately saved her life, and Dr. Balagoon, her oncologist, that administered the procedure, developed a lifelong bond that has now blossomed into a mission dedicated to revolutionizing gynecologic cancer care for women and physicians. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for joining the podcast today. I'm so glad to have both you, Eve and Uni, on the show today to talk about, you know, brachytherapy and how you both have partnered up together, you know, for a great cause. So let's kind of start off with Eve. Eve, do you want to, you know, introduce yourself, talk about the story, your story behind and, you know, your cervical cancer story, how brachytherapy really, you know, affected your life? Jocelyn, thank you so much for having us. We're very excited to be here with you on the Survivor Podcast. My name is Eve McDavid. I'm a tech executive, a media expert, and a journalist. I'm also a wife and a mom of two young, beautiful children. And as you mentioned, I'm a three-year cervical cancer survivor. In January of 2020, I had a stage 2B adenocarcinoma cervical cancer diagnosis, and it really rocked my world. Uh, at the time that I entered treatment, I was an executive at Google. I had worked across most of private industry and the public se sector. And I entered treatment and I was really uh, blown away by the experience. We'll talk about brachytherapy in a moment. Uh, but you know, speaking specifically to my diagnosis and the story, uh, it was a Monday when my OBGYN discovered a cervical cancer tumor during a routine prenatal exam. I was 35 weeks pregnant at the time. Uh, fortunately, she understood what was going on immediately. And my case was very, very rapidly escalated. I had an MRI the next day. I met with an oncologist who would become my medical oncologist the following day, Dr. Chapman. And the next day after that, three days after the discovery of the tumor, I delivered my son five weeks early and wow. thank goodness, safely. Um, the following day, I was able to have further scans to determine really what was going on and what my prognosis was. And it was that day, uh, the end of the week, that my clinical team confirmed a stage 2B cervical cancer diagnosis. Uh, and it was also at that time, uh, after I had delivered my son in the recovery room on the labor and delivery floor, where I first met Dr. Onyinyi Balagun, who would become uh, my, my savior, my hero, uh, and ultimately uh, the, the most incredible partner to have on this journey that began through treatment and uh, has now spawned into the launch of our startup Mission Driven Tech. I mean, so that's like, if I calculate that right, that's within a span of two weeks. Is that right? Or maybe uh, it was 72 hours. Oh my goodness. Diagnosis and well, delivery. I mean, and and delivery. then two weeks to the point where I started treatment. Yes. Oh my goodness. So that was, I mean, I don't even know how to wrap your brain around this. I mean, not only just having a child, right. That, and then now saying, okay, okay, now I have to deal with this. Like I, I 
I wouldn't even know how to even compartmentalize all of that in, in the span of two weeks. It's a lot. And as women, unfortunately, I don't think this is the hardest thing that's ever been done. <laughs> it was it was certainly grueling and it was uh, incredibly challenging. And, you know, I have to acknowledge that I am a white, wealthy woman of privilege in New York City accessing care on a Google health insurance policy. And so that gives me incredible advantages and opportunities and speed to treatment and access to care teams like Dr. Balagoon and Dr. Chapman that are unavailable to most women with the same diagnosis. And so it was astounding. I was in a state of profound shock for much of that time. Uh, and I had a lot of support. I had a lot of resources and I had uh, an incredible husband who helped me just put one foot in front of the other and somehow, some way get through it. And so now you're you're in the hospital, you're meeting Uni, Dr. Balagun, for the first time, and you're like, okay, I'm a new mom, right? Is this, was this your first or your second baby? Second. Yes. Okay. So yes. kind of new again. Yes. Right? And now you're like, how did this meeting go? I'm just like, I would be just in shock. I wouldn't even know how to talk at this point. But how did this meeting go? You know, like, well, let, let's let's talk about that meeting here. Yeah. Um, so it was, I don't know whether it was the evening, but it was January. So it was definitely dark outside and the room was dark and I had just had scans. And so my son was in another room because after you've had a PET scan, you, uh, only will tell me if this is the right clinical language, but I was radioactive. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so my son was somewhere else. And so, you know, that was, that was one of the early and very clear memories that I have of, wow, this is a very different experience being a new mom right now. Everything is, is very, very different. Uh, and, you know, an experience like this forces you to compartmentalize. Uh, unfortunately, in those moments, I wasn't a mom first. I was fighting for my life. And I understood that every single second I was breathing was an opportunity and not a guarantee. Uh, and so I, I met Dr. Balagun in that room. She and Dr. Chapman helped explain to me what they had seen on my scans, what they had seen after Arthur's delivery, because Dr. Chapman was able to do a biopsy. And it was very clear to me that these two women were the most incredible physicians that I had ever laid eyes on. Um, there is a way they comported themselves and a strength that they carried, especially, you know, consider the contrast of every other physician on that floor is, you know, related to OBGYN and, you know, newborn care. It's not usual to have oncologists in a uh, in a in a recovery room, and I and I understood that very very clearly, and I also understood the way they spoke to me, the way they addressed my case, and the way that they had already been rapidly making plans for my care, and I understood that commitment, I understood that fight, and I. I, I felt a tremendous amount of trust and the trust that I felt from the beginning was something that is central to my outcome, central to this partnership that we share uh, and central to my ability to be alive today. That's amazing. So, you know, I, I, I'm so glad to have Dr. Uni Balagun on the show because now I get to see this person that, you know, Eve has talked about for so long and has just this awe of, of you. So I welcome you to the show and thank you for being on and saving Eve's life, as she said. Now, if you can talk to our guest and, and our audience and explain what kind of Eve went through in a clinical sense. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for having us on the show. I think Eve I really appreciate, you know, the the gratitude and everything. Um, but I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm I just wanted to do what was best for a young mother. And to me, it was this is clearly a case where we have to act and act quickly and take care of this cervical cancer. And I want to see this, you know, strong, you know 
kind woman go back home to her two kids Mm -hmm. and it just wasn't an option to me failure was not an option we had to act we had to act quickly and we had to make sure that um because her case was unusual because she had been pregnant and you know her anatomy was going to be changing we had to um make sure that we were going to treat her in a way that was specific to her anatomy, her body, taking into account the fact that her anatomy, her uterus was going to be shrinking during the process of treatment, and hopefully the cervical cancer was too. So um, to take people through just the basics of cervical cancer treatment, when someone is diagnosed with cervical cancer, we have to decide, can we basically um, get rid of this with just surgery? Or is it going to be um, more likely that even if we do surgery, they're going to need things like chemotherapy and radiation afterwards? And um, basically, um, looking at Eve's case, she needed, um, she was not going to be served with just surgery. She needed to undergo um, chemotherapy and radiation. So when we go down that path of not surgery alone, we're going to do chemo plus radiation. That means you have an initial five weeks of chemotherapy plus radiation from the outside. So what we call external beam radiation where you, we initially do a CT scan of you um, and then we, design the radiation such that it's treating your uterus, your ovaries, your cervix, and all the lymph nodes that may possibly um, have been seeded by the cancer. So in Eve's case, we ended up also using an MRI machine that would show us on a daily basis really clear images because, again, her uterus was going to be shrinking and hopefully the cervical cancer was going to be shrinking. So we wanted to be sure that when they shrank, we changed her plan accordingly to to match her anatomy. Um, So after an initial five weeks of external beam radiation, which is given on a daily basis, the chemo is given once a week, we then have to give um, internal radiation treatment called brachytherapy. And um, Radiation has been around for a long time, since the 1800s. I think 1896 was when it was first discovered by um, William Rankin. Um, That's when he first discovered x-rays. And brachytherapy was not far behind. In 1903, that was the first time that a brachytherapy procedure was done, and it was done for cervical cancer. And the reason why we love brachytherapy and radiation um, oncology is because we have to give a certain dose to a cervical cancer in order for us to reach at least a 90% chance of cure, of getting rid of it. If we go under that dose, you are most likely going to have the tumor come back, grow back and, and possibly travel to other parts of the body metastasize. So we don't want that to happen. And the problem is that if you try to give that high of a dose, what we're trying to achieve is 80 to 90 gray. The units of radiation we use are called gray. If you try to give 80 to 90 gray only using external radiation, you're also going to be um, affecting the nearby normal organs, the rectum, the bladder, the small intestine, um, the vagina. You're going to be affecting all of those organs um, and causing things like potential bleeding down the line. You could cause ulcers, holes in in those organs down the line. Um, You could cause strictures in the small bowel that will lead to people having, um, you know, um, obstructions Uh and needing to undergo surgical procedures. So the beauty of brachytherapy is that we can bring the radiation internally, place a radioactive source internally um, within the person in cervical cancer. We um, give it in about, in different ways, but one of the most common is four to five treatments separated by 48 hours each. And we place devices within the uterus and um, you know at the bottom of the cervix and within the vagina. And then we connect people to a machine that houses a small radioactive source. And this radioactive source will travel down a wire into those um, devices we've placed inside the uterus at the bottom of the cervix and give off radiation internally. And what happens is that we're able to give the radiation dose that we want, but the radio uh, the radiation doesn't touch the normal organs as much because it's kind of um, limited. The dose um, 
the further you get away from the cervix, mm -hmm. the lower the dose is. It falls off much more rapidly than if you were using external beam radiation. Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty of brachytherapy. But the the dark side of brachytherapy for cervical cancer is that it's incredibly painful. And unfortunately, Eve can attest to this. And um, I think our partnership spawned from her mind, which is a beautiful mind, always thinking, <laughs> always, <laughs> you know, I think coming from her Google and YouTube background, um, she had a lot of experience using technology uh, to improve processes. Um, and she kept on asking me, she'd say, Oni, do you think we can do this better? Because this this is painful and 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 it's not great. And I just said, I know we can do it better. And I think this was still while she was being treated. She was asking me these questions. And I said, please, let's let's first just finish your treatments. <laughs> we, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> so we, you know, it was it was a really crazy time. Like in we met in January, but as we were getting close to her brachytherapy sessions, which happened towards the end of um, external beam radiation, the pandemic started and there were just so many things happening, but still Eve was thinking about how to make things better. Um, so I told her, I said, let's get you to remission and then we can talk about um, how to improve brachytherapy. And I think at one of her first follow-up, one of the first follow-up visits we had, she said, can I see those brachytherapy devices? And we brought them out. And that I think was the beginning of our, our adventure with the company we founded, Mission Driven Tech. We started talking about how to improve brachytherapy. And from there, we've really um, tried to imagine a cervical health ecosystem mm -hmm. um, that will empower people to take control of their cervical health, that will destigmatize the the whole issue of HPV and and having an HPV infection and and you know the cervix talking about the cervix and of course um, we just want to be uh, an educational resource for people but also um, be part of the solution to finally eradicate cervical cancer so that's that's our story that's amazing I mean I, one I know it takes a lot as a clinician you know to see patients day in and day out, but then have this drive with your patient to say, we can make this better, right? And I think that's a lot because sometimes, and we've heard this story before, that a lot of patients don't have that connection with their doctor. They feel that their doctor has failed them in some way, whether they were misdiagnosed, whether they, you know, didn't get the right treatment or whether, or something, but this beautiful partnership that you both have is just incredible. I mean, like Eve said, the trust, the immediate trust that she had in you, that's special because that's what's, that is what is going to save her, right? It's this trust. It's not just the clinic, you know, not just the doctor and the trust can't be just on the doctor's side. You as a doctor also have to trust your patient to say, you're going to do this. You're going to fight with me because I can only give you the medicine. You yourself have to fight for this. And I that think that partnership is mutual, right? It's that mutual bond that you both have. Absolutely. And I have to say what you said, we, we want patients to trust us. And I think we have to demonstrate um, when they meet us that we, have, we genuinely care. You know, we genuinely care about what's going to happen to them. You're not just another person that I have to see today. I'm not just checking a box. I'm invested in, in your outcome. I'm invested in who you are beyond the walls of my clinic. You know, I care about your goals outside of, um, you know, beating this cancer. Yes, we want to beat the cancer, but we also want to make sure that the rest of your life, whether you have children or whether you have a profession or a hobby that is important to you, that those also thrive um, during and after your treatment. And, and like you said, I have to trust too that you'll take the advice that I give you, right? Mm -hmm. That if I say, please, we need to do um, four treatments or five treatments, that you will show up and and Eve did that. She showed up, she was invested in her care. And I think that created that mutual, like you said, that you mutual trust and, and laid the foundation for us being able to go into business together. Yeah, no, I it's incredible. And Eve, let's kind of go back a little bit. So we start, you know, you, you talked about how you both met. Now Uni's talked about brachytherapy, what it is, what women have to go through. 
can you talk us through what it was like going through this? Because she mentioned a little bit of the pain, you know, the, the little bit mentioned of the pain that you went through, not that it was little, because I know it was excruciating, but can you talk us through, you know, what you felt as a patient going through this, right? Yeah, absolutely. So everything that Oni just described is spot on. And I I listen to the way she describes it. And I listen to the, the heart and the soul that pair with the unbelievable clinical expertise. And this is the type of physician you want treating you during brachytherapy because this is this is what's necessary. Uh, for a woman to go through these procedures, you need a physician who has this approach and this care and this holistic perspective of it's not just these, you know, five procedures. It's every second that the woman lives after she walks out these doors. And what happens during these procedures, it's it's frozen in amber, right? That calcifies and you only get to do it once. So having that perspective and treating with that philosophy in action is, is so critical here. So I'll talk a little bit about my experience with yeah. brachytherapy and uh, why I found it to be so uh, fascinating and um and I, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. So uh, brachytherapy, like Oni described, happens at the end of treatment. So standard of care, the patient has chemotherapy, an external beam. And then at the end of this eight-week period, brachytherapy comes into the mix. Uh, and that's really important because what the clinical research shows is that there is an eight-week window for first-line treatment for a diagnosis like this, and all of the care has to happen within these 56 days, and any treatment that extends outside of 56 days results in the survival rates dropping precipitously, and wow. so as soon as treatment starts, you are on the clock. And that really matters because by the time you get to brachytherapy, you are sick from the chemo, you're exhausted and fatigued from the radiation. And now, surprise, the hardest part of treatment starts. And that is poorly understood by the patient going into it. And I absolutely understand there's this forever tension and balance of too much information and too much fear of mm -hmm. what's going to be in the future versus how do we make sure the patient shows up, the patient complies, the patient does everything in her power to accept the medicine and treatment and let it do its work to have a great outcome uh, and balance that with, okay, the worst part of this is actually yet to come. That's a really, really difficult wow. headspace to live in. Um, but that's the truth about cervical cancer cancer treatment. And it's important that we strike the right balance in the language that's used with patients to better inform them. Uh -huh. So as Oni mentioned, I started brachytherapy. It was the beginning of March in 2020. And what was really fascinating was at that time, as we all know, that was the beginning of the pandemic in America. It had already been, um, you know, it'd been on its way for some time. And the first week of March is really when it hit the doorstep in New York City. And I remember having my last chemo infusion the week earlier and asking the care team, you know, what do you think about this? What's this going to be? And it was a very, very, very calm environment. This is not going to be a big deal. We're not too concerned. And then in a week's time, everyone was in panic. Right. And when you're showing up for cancer treatment, you know, I looked at this as, okay, I'm used to showing up as an executive in a client's office and sitting with an executive team and understanding their processes and the tools they use and the talent they have and how they make their business or their organization function. And so for me, cancer treatment in a strange way, was like showing up to a new job. And this time Oni was I, like, I was the client and, and, <laughs> you know, and, and Oni was in charge. Right. And huh. I'm watching the best physicians in the world deploy their tools and technology. And I am really the product, right. I am the outcome of this output. And so by the time we get to brachytherapy, the, the tone and the tenor had really changed where, the, the healthcare teams and the supporting teams and the physicians had been really calm. Now the doctors were scared. And that is a strange experience to have where you're used to being the only one scared and everyone around you is very calm. And right. now you're scared and the doctors are scared. And the question becomes, if I survive this cancer, am I going to die from 
this pandemic. Um, And that was, you know, one existential crisis after the next. And so again, it goes back to this extreme focus, you know, you can't control anything. So what can you do? I can show up for care. I can do all the preparation work that's required so that my body is in the best position to accept this medicine on that day. Mm -hmm. I can show up on time. I can, I can use my voice to ask for the type of pain medicine that I need to get through. Um, I can, you know, I can set up support at home so that I can recover as best as I can. So, you know, really small ways to put myself in a little bit of control in this really complicated situation. So I start breaking therapy. It's the beginning of March and um, I have my first procedure. Everything, you know, is, is going well in terms of I show up, I'm under anesthesia for the device insertion throughout the day. My pain is managed really uh, humanely. And then, you know, it's time for treatment. The, the treatment happens. Uh, it's, it's not that long, you know, the full day goes anywhere from, I don't know, what, four or six, seven hours or so. Uh, The treatment portion of that is, you know, maybe 15 minutes and treatment happens. uh, And we're getting to the, the, the point where the devices now need to be removed. And Oni says to me, okay, I'm really sorry to let you know this, but this is going to feel like childbirth. And I, 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 I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was like, I was like, I just had a baby. Like, you've got to be yeah. kidding me. <laughs> you know, like, what do you mean? And also, how is this your job to tell someone that this is what they're about to expect? Yes. Like, it doesn't seem, it just, does, it, it didn't make sense to me, right? Like, I understood the process. I'd followed all the steps. And then this was like this big aha moment where all of a sudden the bottom drops out. And it's like, how, how is this even going to happen? Um, so, you know, it, but it did. And again, Oni, Oni handled it in the, the best possible way for it to happen. Uh, and that and was really, she right. Did, did it feel like childbirth? Oh, I mean, beyond I've, I've never experienced more excruciating pain. Wow. Um, and it, 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 you know, pain is a construct, right? So it's not the physicality of it. It's right. Right. It's the, the terror of mm-hmm. what your body experiences and the, the ripple effects that live on from that. So it's a moment in time, uh, but it has a cascading effect. Right. And your it's body a very traumatic that. experience, right? Like it, it lives in your mind, like seared in your mind forever. Incredibly. And more than 40% of women who have these uh, procedures have post-traumatic stress disorder just from the device removal alone. Mm-hmm. So it's well-documented in clinical literature that there's a big problem here, that women are leaving this procedure brutalized. So second procedure comes, and again, the hospital system is a a very changed place, and the protocol is different, and everything is rapidly shifting. But what is so critical here is that Oni and her care team continue to show up. There's no change in the plans, and the pandemic doesn't derail this care. And again, we're on the clock for this, and Oni's watching that clock, and I'm watching that clock, and it becomes a mission to get through, you know, show up, recover, be well again enough to tolerate the next one, do the prep, show up, get through it, recover, you know, and this is on a cycle, rinse and repeat. And it's 48 hours, right? 48 hours in between sessions, right? 48 hours between treatments. I'm sorry. That's 48 hours, right? It's that's crucial that you have to bounce back, get your body, get over the, you know, try to, you know, mask the pain and go back and do it again. Exactly. 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 And at some point during this treatment, like Oni described, after she'd taken the devices out, I asked to see them. I was like, I've got to see this tool. And I looked at the device and I looked at Oni. And again, like the best doctors in the world using this tool that looks like a medieval torture device. And it didn't square to me. And so, you know, I, I was able to tolerate and endure. Um, I was able to get through. And, and that is... Uh, for everything that you described, it's not so cut and dry. What Oni will say in her practice is as many as a quarter of the women who begin these procedures can't endure. They can't get through the prescribed recommended number of treatment. And if they don't access these procedures, if they don't achieve that dose of radiation that Oni described, their tumors will recur and they'll die. So for me, this entire experience was do or die. Also, Mm -hmm. with the understanding that 
I can't even believe what I'm seeing right now. Having been someone who's worked in an environment where we were developing some of the most futuristic technology that the world had ever seen. And then here in women's health, we're using devices from the early 1970s. It just didn't square to me. And so having Oni's uh, validation, really, that she was frustrated with the tools, that she was dissatisfied with the procedures, that she wanted to see better care for women. I thought, he, like, here, here we are together on this. So I'm going to get well. I'm going to will myself to recovery. And once I do, I absolutely know what we're going to do next. We're going to change this field of medicine. I mean, I'm still getting over, I mean, you, you like, you know, I'm, again, I know probably we're repeating this, but you had a child, then you got diagnosed, you're going through treatment and all of a sudden, you know, here's another obstacle. If you don't want it, the pandemic. And now you're like, okay, now how do I make sure that I'm healthy enough? Because I know during that time it was like masks, you know, gloves, like everything, like how, and then the fact that you knew that your doctor, I think, you know, if I, that would be an amazing motivation, right? My doctor showed up day in and day out and is there throughout this, you know, providing yes. that, like you said, the foundation, the calm, the, the direction that you needed. But at the same time, you're like, this is the most painful thing, even beyond childbirth, because childbirth is that one, right? That once, and it's kind of almost the reward, right? The reward that you get, you have a child and you're like, this, this was worth it. And this one, it's like, I have to go through this pain for the recommended amount of uh, times. And still the, the, the thing is I need to survive. So I will do this, you know, I will do this, but the pain that you're describing, I think it's hard. Cause like you said earlier, doctors are, they're trying to balance. Do we want to get, tell this patient that you're not, this is not the hardest thing you're going to go through right now, right? The right. hardest thing you're going to go through is yet to come. And it's going to be the most excruciating pain you've ever felt you know, and, and you think that patient's going to come back, right? Like it, it's that balance, but you know that you need to do this, right? So it, it's this hardest. And the fact that you said post-traumatic stress, it's right. You know, a lot of, a lot of women do have post-traumatic stress and they feel violated that they yeah. have to go through this. I mean, the, the term violated is the, the correct term for this. Cause you know, you're taking something and taking that. And I, I think it's it's just incredible that you you know you went through that not only went through that but during the pandemic and still at the end we're like this can be done better this can be done better and I think the 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 phrase like and it's hard to say but I, I think it's difficult for also doctors right because it's like the thing the traditional thing of don't don't fix something that's not broken right this thing has worked it has worked tried and true for so long we're not but it can be done better. That's the thing. And I think you both have focused in on that. You honed in on that, that this, it, it works and it's beneficial and it saves lives, but it can be done better. Yes. Right? Yes. And you can't point to another field of medicine where doctors are still using medical devices from the 1970s. Mm -hmm. This is an area that is a reflection of the systemic gender and racial inequity that persists throughout all of women's health. And it is emblematic of that. And so, you know, yes, tried and true. Uh -huh. And yes, when every other field of medicine and oncology has advanced, when you walk down the hall to where men are being treated for prostate cancer and they're uh -huh. being treated with technologies from 2023, there is more than just a patient and provider saying enough. There is a systemic issue that begs the question, why is this still happening? And why has the awareness and the investment and the research and innovation not yet come to this field? And that's exactly what we're bringing. So now that you guys have, we, we talked about this and the, the fact that we can do better and you guys have built this partnership, let's talk about that next step that you both decided to take. And this was beyond now you're recovered, you're in remission. Now you both had decided, let's take this step and really invest in how to make this better. So, you know, introduce us to the, the how do you guys got there? Yeah. Um, okay. I'll start. And then Oni, um, we, we always, we do this together. Yes. So, I want to take a, a little step back yeah. to the cervical health and cervical cancer landscape. 
because, and Jocelyn, this is no surprise to you or probably anyone tuning into this podcast, it's possible to eliminate cervical cancer. The yes. tools already exist. There is a vaccine that if you administer the HPV vaccine in childhood before sexual exposure, you can reduce the incidence rate by over 90%. If a woman or a person with a cervix has access to HPV screening and pap test screening, then any sort of early infection or abnormality can be addressed, treated early. And when it is addressed and caught early, the survival rates are above 92%. And if that woman falls into the treatment category because some gap in the system has failed along the prevention pathway, if she ends up in treatment, brachytherapy as part of the standard of care cures the disease and she can walk off that table and walk into the world and put this all behind her, right? This is like open and shut when it comes to oncology. And there's no other field of medicine that has these solutions in place to be in a position to eliminate cancer from this planet. Mm -hmm. And so I first learned that when I became a patient and it became very exciting to me and also very devastating to understand that even though the tools exist, the gaps in the care, the misinformation that exists around the vaccine and vaccine hesitancy, right? The mm -hmm. difficulty to access preventative care and the all the barriers that make it you know, difficult or unreasonable for a woman to be able to access preventative screening. And then when it comes to accessing treatment and cure, half of all eligible women in this country access brachytherapy. And Black women are half as likely to access brachytherapy as white women, and they die at twice the rates. So you look across the entire system, and all the solutions are there, but all the problems are also very clearly and well-defined. And I looked at this as someone coming from Google who had a track record of using better technology to advance an industry, to solve for these problem statements mm -hmm. that live within an industry and create change that is very possible because modern technology has made that possible. And in this field, modern medicine has made this possible. So I looked at this and I looked at my partnership with Oni and we looked at this together and we said, this is doable. This is achievable. And we start with a scopable product and a project. We start with this medical device. How would you redesign this medical device to make it better suited to fit a woman's anatomy so that a physician can offer a safer treatment protocol? The patient can more easily endure that treatment. And then together, <laughs> together she reaches cure. Uh -huh. It was that simple to us. And that's really the, the beginning of the work that we embarked on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think exactly what you said, there's tends to be a lot of inertia in medicine. We definitely tend to think if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But there, there's a term, I think maybe it was a tool Gawande or someone else who called talked about early adopters. And so we looked at this device and yes, you know, it has been approved before women were even included in clinical trials. So how we got That's, here. That is very key to this, right? I mean, how could you <laughs> yeah. develop a device for females, but not have anyone tested on them? Right. You okay. Know. And then um, the there have been changes, adaptations to it, and they primarily involve adding needles. Mm. So again, it looks great. You know, even I was excited about the needles um, being added as a physician. But through this work with Eve, I really said it made me question that approach. We can do better. We can make this more patient centered. It's your your ability to achieve a cure for your cervical cancer shouldn't be dependent on your ability to tolerate massive amounts of pain. That shouldn't be the, the bar that we're setting. And I have just had too many people who absconded um, and, and it haunts me. That's the word. I see their faces and it haunts me. When they leave, I know that in a few months, maybe a year, I'm going to get a call. And the call is going to be about symptoms that they're having that will let me know basically that the cancer is back. Um, so we we have to do better. And and when Eve, um, you know, began asking those questions, 
I, there was a guilt I always had around these procedures that they caused so much pain. In fact, when I would remove the devices, sometimes the nurse assisting me would scream and go, ah! and you just, you know that it's not ideal, mm -hmm. but the time constraints, you know, when you're a practicing clinician are such that it's difficult to have that you know, space to think about things. And that's one of the, the great things about partnering with Eve. She and I were able to bring our expertise, you know, in technology, um, in, in, in the digital world, together with my expertise in women's health, and to think about how can we bring these together to impact um, the field of cervical health. Uh -huh. And so first began with the brachytherapy device, reinventing uh, brachytherapy. Um, we uh, went through a, a program called i first. Okay. So um, Eve was able to, you know, take that on and do a lot of market research. Mm -hmm. And then there was an e-bio-venture program at Cornell. Uh, fortunately, Juan Cornell and Cornell Tech is, they're very supportive of um, entrepreneurship. And so I've, you know, we found ourselves going to these classes about how to build a company and how to put together a product. And we entered the competition and we, you know, we came, we tied for a second and we were just jumping up and down. Congratulations. I think I, um, when they announced, we, we were, I still remember that evening, I thought, oh, other people have won. Okay, at least we tried. And when they said our name, it hadn't registered and we were like cheering. And then we said, that's our name. Oh my God. <laughs> that was kind of like, you know, proof. And, and from there we've moved on, done an accelerator with Cornell Tech. And now we're a part of um, Techstars, which, you know, we swung for the fences. Um, Techstars and Y Combinator are two of the uh, biggest accelerator programs for companies that are pre-seed or are just uh -huh. starting. And for us to get here, we really, um, we feel that it's it's kind of a stamp on our mission. Even if we didn't get here, I, even I are such that we're, we will, we will stamp ourselves. Right. Um, but it's it's nice to have that support and and over time we've evolved from not just the the device we are thinking about what are all the elements that are needed um, for cervical health to be at its optimal point and so we have evolved to create something called touch. Um, and touch is basically our platform for one people to get trusted expert information about cervical health. Um, and also we are we, we are launching the educational platform today. Oh yay! So everyone should visit touchcervicalhealth.com. Okay. And, um, join, take a look at what we have there. We really believe that it's going to uh, empower people, whether you're looking for information um, about prevention or about screening, treatment or survivorship. And we felt strongly um, about including all of those elements because there is no one place right now that people can go to find, um, you know, all that information and that's engaging right. and in video first format. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is text. And we know that, you know, we live in a world that's very video friendly. Um, so we're going to be um, piloting a number of different features through uh, the touch platform. But we, again, want people to visit touchcervicalhealth.com in order to take a look at what we're building. And, and part of the that uh, ecosystem will also be access to cervical health experts. Um, so we we think we're we're hitting it on all prongs: education, uh -huh. access to um, cervical health experts, and also building this device. And we think that together, those are going to make a real uh, significant impact on um, finally decreasing the burden of uh, cervical cancer and improving cervical health. Most importantly, no, that's great. I'm I'm so I mean. The fact that you both won those awards and those accomplishments, it's validation that it is needed, right? It is time. It is not just like we like what I said earlier, tried and true, yes, but it is time to make technology better. It is time to put women's health as a priority. You know, whether or not it doesn't matter what background you come from, what country or socioeconomic status, it is time to put our health first. 
And I think that it is amazing because you're right. There are there is not only prevention and screening and vaccine, but the fact that survival rate is high if women do get the treatment at the right time according to the treatment plan, they can survive this. You know, I remember my doctor always telling me, look, we will, it is a hassle and you have to come in, but I will make sure that you are going to see your grandchildren running around and you will live to see that day. And I, you know, it's thankful because it's like, that's what you need, right? That is what you need. And the survival rate is, and the fact that we have not put women's health first, right? That we have said, oh, you're fine. Just go in and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll treat you. And, but it's that, that not putting us as a priority. Right. And I think this is what you both have done to this environment and this, you know, this field and said, no, women are going to survive. We are going to survive and we are going to make sure that we are a priority in this field and we can do better. We can treat women better, you know, not just as a patient, but just as a person, right? Saving that dignity and that, you know, that person, it's that dignity you are lost. I think, you know, when patients, you know, Eve can attest to this, right? You go in there and you, you're stripped down to nakedness, right? You're, you're there, you're, you're exposed. What dignity do you have left? You know, someone's coming up as Tamika said, someone's going up your coochie and you're just like, great, you know, it's, you know, really it's, it's this, you yeah. feel like you've lost that dignity and the fact that you two are bringing it back and giving it back and saying, no, we're going to give it back to women that you deserve yes. that at, at, at least at that amount. Right. Absolutely. And what Tamika and Jocelyn, you and Survivor and the entire organization has done is given the world a blueprint for what it means to not be ashamed by a cervical cancer diagnosis, because there are still too few powerful women and people with cervixes who do not talk about HPV or the interventions they've had and required, or even a cervical cancer diagnosis. And that's what prevents the field from advancing because when we are not loud enough, there is no attention and, and you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. And so if everyone is silent and we don't have a voice about this, then nothing's going to change. And that's what's happened here. And we say no more. I walked off that table. I walked out the door. And I knew that if I survived the purpose of this background that I had and this partnership in trust with Oni was meant to bend the arc towards good in women's health in this field and carve out cervical health care as the discrete field it is within women's health, help every person who has a cervix understand what it is where it is, how it can get sick, right? how it can get healthy again, and how to live a life that is not cut short by preventable cancer. And that is fundamentally our mission and the action we work against every single day at Mission Driven Tech. So now that you have you have the touch platform, right? That we you um, that Oni mentioned. What's 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 next for you guys? Because I think you guys are going to take over the world. But then that's me. So what's next for you guys? I mean, uh, Jocelyn, from your lips to you know <laughs> the higher ups' ears. <laughs> uh, this is just the beginning. We we just started onboarding users. We're going through research. The goal of this platform is to be completely user-centric and inspired by insights from, again, every person who has a cervix and their specific needs across the entire care continuum. So we're just beginning to onboard users that will help inform the way that we develop content and the future mm -hmm. features. Uh, and, and really, you know, our, our goal is to develop an entire digital and hardware ecosystem that normalizes and modernizes cervical health. That is our vision. That is amazing. Uni, do you have any, I mean, you both are taking over the world. So let's just let that's, that's a given, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So I think you mentioned, you know, we want women to survive. Um, and I, I would add to that. We want them to thrive. So mm, yes. I don't want them to just survive. I want them to thrive. And I think one of the things we pay attention to on our platform is uh, we have a section dedicated to survivorship. And even in cancer in general, we don't really talk of, 
much about survivors. It's kind of like, oh, you're done, you know, move on, which is why I love Survivor. I love the organization because there's more. It's not just, okay, you no longer have cancer, move on with your life. There is more. What about sexual health? That's that's a a topic that we do not talk about enough. Uh What happens in the aftermath? Many of these women are in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. They're not supposed to have an enjoyable sex life after treatment. How do we help them with that? Um, So there's so many things that we want to put in place uh, through, you know, touch cervical health uh, in order to make sure that people not just survive, but that they thrive. So looking forward to just being on this journey. It was unexpected, but I am forever grateful that Eve McDavid walked into my life and um, I'm, I'm excited for what's going to come next. Oh, I'm, I'm very excited for the both of you. Cause I just, like I said, I think there is, there's nothing that you both cannot accomplish. I, I truly feel that. And women today, you know, women today, women tomorrow, my, my daughter will be thankful because you both are taking that step to make sure, like you said, we not only survive, but we thrive in our lives, whether we have to face, you know, the unfortunate that we have to face cervical cancer or we don't. And hopefully the next generation and generations from that will not have to face it. But if we do, we're going to have the tools that we can to make sure that they survive and thrive in this world. So I thank both of you for being on the show and, you know, developing and thinking and putting us first, putting yourselves first, actually. So thank you so much for both of you for being on the show. Thank you, Jocelyn. Jocelyn, thank you so much for having us. It's been an honor. Just because something isn't broken does not mean it cannot be done better. And that is exactly what Eve and Dr. Balagoon are doing. They're making it their mission to not only save lives, but to ensure that women thrive For more information about their new platform, Touch, please go to touchcervicalhealth.com. And remember, your story counts. If you want to share your story, log on to survivor.com. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.